Hello. I am David Cade, Executive Vice President and CEO of the American Health Lawyers Association. The AHLA offers a wide variety of learning opportunities to our members, most of which focus on aspects of the practice of health law. However, this podcast series is designed to address a more basic need of our members and future members. Our host for today's podcast is Tom Ronsky of Thomas Ronsky & Associates, a legal search consulting firm that specializes in recruiting healthcare and life sciences lawyers for law firms. If you are a health lawyer, you either know Tom or you should know Tom. Our guest today, joining Tom, is Amy Simmons, Director of Attorney Recruitment and Professional Development at Epstein Becker Green, a leader in health law. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, David. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. As David indicated, my name is Thomas Ronsky. I've been a legal search consultant for over 20 years. I specialize in recruiting healthcare and life sciences lawyers for law firms. The subject of this broadcast podcast is launching your career in health law. Part one will be about the things law school students should do to prepare themselves for careers in health law. Part two will be about the things junior associates should do to be successful in the practice. Our guest today is Amy Simmons, Director of Attorney Recruitment and Professional Development at Epstein Becker Green. Um, welcome, Amy. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, thanks, Tom. I am currently, as you noted, the Director of Legal Recruitment and Professional Development at Epstein Becker Green. In this role, I oversee all aspects of attorney recruitment, which includes the law school recruitment process as well as the summer program. Um, it also includes the lateral associate and lateral partner recruitment process. In addition, I oversee all of the areas that fall under professional development, which include things like the attorney evaluation process, uh, attorney training and recruitment, business development planning, diversity initiatives, mentor sponsor, and the pro bono program. As you can see, a lot of things fall under that bucket. Well, so I, I would say that if I was going to talk to anybody about how to launch a career in health law, you're the person to talk to. Um, what does one do to become a health lawyer? How, how does someone start off, at least from your vantage? I, I think it starts first with someone having an interest um, in health law and understanding that by definition, health law is an incredibly broad area of law. From there, if they decide at that point they're ready for law school, it's hopefully, if it allows, um, choosing a law school that perhaps specializes in health law. Um, if not, one that maybe at least offers a little bit of health law classes. Um, if they decide to wait and go to uh, law school at a later point in time, I think it's maybe finding a job or a career um, in the in the health law industry to kind of get them familiar, get a little bit of an understanding of what health law really is. You know what, those are all interesting things. And I was gonna, I mean, I asked you about a couple of them in mm -hmm. detail, uh, especially the, uh, uh, the point of which law schools and which programs to go into. Um, let me ask you this, in terms of undergrad work, is there any particular commonality? Do you see particular majors or backgrounds that, that health lawyers who get to your level have in their background? Uh, you would think there would be, but with health law being so broad, there, there typically isn't one area of study that we see or that we value when we're looking for at law students. Um, 
we look for students who have a demonstrated interest in health law, and that can be experience, it can be courses they're taking. Uh, if you look at the bios of the health attorneys at our firm, you'll see they have very diverse backgrounds um, and experiences. For law school students who are interested in Epstein-Becker-Green, it is, it is important that they're able to articulate why they have an interest. And we see that anything from growing up in a household with two doctors to pursuing an LLM at a law school or to a second career because they were a prior nurse or some other healthcare professional or something like that. So it really does vary. Um, and there's so many different ways that, that people are able to demonstrate that interest. I know a partner at uh, a, a prominent law firm who I once asked, how did you get into to health law? And this person told me that he developed the interest because uh, his father was a, a physician and he had always thought in the back of his mind he might become a, a doctor someday, but he just decided he didn't really like medical things or taking care of sick people and things like that or being exposed to them. So he went to law school, and while he was in law school, he wrote letters to prominent law firms that had health practices and said, this is who I am, this is my background, and this is why I want to be a health lawyer. And 30 years later, that's what he does. He had a vision as a young person and a law school student as to what to do, but it wasn't too far off what his family's background was. We see many different backgrounds, but we see that quite a bit where we hear one or two parent households where, you know, the 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 talk over the dinner table all the time was healthcare because they were physicians or somehow associated with the health industry. So, you know, even if that, you know, person has never had a job, they just grew up hearing all about all of the issues that their parents faced as doctors. So it is fascinating how people can get into the area of health law. And it's surprising that they would go into that area because most doctors hate lawyers. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, what does the firm like to see from a, 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 a law school student in terms of, uh, of outside interests? Are there, should a, a law school student be a, uh, a member of the AHLA? Should that person be... Are there, there are organizations and things that, that someone that you would recommend that someone do? So although it's not required by our firm, we do like to see that is one of the ways that somebody can demonstrate their interest. So becoming a member of AHLA, other organizations, or even being a member of a particular journal. A lot of law schools will have health law journals or journals at least relative to the health law field. So those are ways that uh, students can can demonstrate that they do have that interest in health law, especially if they are straight out of college to law school where they haven't necessarily had a lot of time to work and do internships or things like that to help demonstrate. Do you like to see people who come straight from college to law school or does the firm generally like to see people who've done other things or is it a mix? It's a mix. We, we, it's, it's probably leans heavy for our firm, a little more towards second career. So even if it's been two or three years in a different occupation, we tend to get a lot of second career. Does not mean that we don't see a lot of law students who are straight through. Um, and again, for us, there's many ways that they can demonstrate an interest in health law. So it's not a one or the other for us. 
Are there any particular law schools uh, that the firm favors? Are, for example, are there firms that have health law programs that you know a person who's going to be in that program is going to be somebody who's got an interest in, in the practice? There are. There are. Uh, we recruit heavily at University of Maryland, University of Houston, St. Louis, and several other schools that do have uh, health law programs, um, recognized health law programs. We also tend to recruit at schools. Um, the other half of the practice that we recruit for at our firm happens to be labor. So we tend to focus on schools with health or labor programs. We also focus on schools that are in the geographies in which we have offices that we host summer programs. So New York, DC, LA, we also will tend to look at local law schools. Um, but I will say, I, I would never discourage anybody from applying to our firm if they are do have that interest in health law. We tend to process anywhere between 12 and 1500 law school resumes every year. Uh, we look at every single one. So it, you know, just because we don't necessarily recruit or do on-campus interviews at a school doesn't preclude us from looking at resumes and hiring people outside of that process. Of the law schools that you mentioned that have the health programs, uh, do other law firms recruit at those schools too? I mean, do you have competition? We have, a, we do have competition. I wish I could say we didn't have competition, but we do have competition. <laughs> so um, those firms that are looking to hire students, you know, totally dedicated to healthcare do know to kind of look at the St. Louis, the Maryland's, the University of Houston's. And there are other, you know, Georgetown, we get a lot of our health law students from Georgetown, from GW. So there's a lot of local for our DC office that we're able to get as well. Seton Hall is another one that has a great health law program. So we do have competition. One of the things that can set our firm apart is that we are focused on healthcare and labor. So our law students will come in. If they come in wanting to do health law, that is their specialty. We don't rotate them through. You know, they don't do other things. If they come to us wanting to be a healthcare lawyer, that's what we're going to allow them to do. So there's no formal rotations that they have to worry about. Um, do you, are you the one who goes out and uh, makes it, you go to the schools and you make presentations? How, do, how does it work? How does um, they find you? For um, I am part of a group that prior to the on-campus interview starting, we will go to law schools and meet with students and tell them about our firm. When it comes time for the on-campus interviews, we typically will send two attorneys to do the on-campus interviews. Um, typically, we try to send at least one partner, if not two partners. And if we can, we try to match up alumni to the various schools that we're recruiting from. Um, so they're familiar um, with the school, with the background, the history. So, um, But it is typically attorneys who do our on-campus interviewing. Interesting. How does your summer associate program work? So we have uh, an intense summer program. Um, the summer program is our source, typically, of all of our first-year associates. So our goal is to give our law students a picture of what it's like to, tr to be a first-year associate, a junior associate at the firm. So we give real projects, an uh, intense educational program. We assign mentors, both an associate and a partner mentor, to all summers. They're designed to help the summers navigate, um, answer any questions, help with workflow along the way. Um, we have an intense training where we do two to three educational um, training classes every week. They tend to focus on skill sets like writing and speaking, but they also are on the core practice areas. So it's sort of an intense dive into health law, into labor law, some corporate, some litigation for us. So it's a mix of 
training events, real projects that otherwise our junior associates would be working on. And those projects are client projects, but they're also pro bono. They're also um, business development type things where we've had our summers co-author articles, help develop presentations. So when our first years come back, they truly understand what it's like to be a junior associate at the firm. It's almost like a boot camp. It is a boot camp, which ironically, when we get to that, we actually have created for our first years. Oh, they call it a boot camp? We do call it a boot camp. So we've, we've kind of morphed into a boot camp scenario. How do you transition then from uh, a summer associate uh, to a first year? What's the, or do sometimes people wash out during their summer associateship or um, it is, I would say it's intense, but we get very positive feedback. Um, it's it's busy. There are social events. That's a way for us to get to know summers outside of the normal course of the business day for them to get to understand the culture of the firm. Um, but it is intense. I mean, they're, they're billing their time. They're working on real projects. They're putting in sometimes longer days because we, we, we do things and require things of summers that, you know, all the education sessions that we do over the summer are meant for the summers. So if you're a health summer associate, you're going to all of the educational programs, whether it's labor, litigation, corporate, just to get exposure to everything the firm does. It's almost a little bit easier when first years come back because they've been through boot they've camp. been through boot camp. We still give them another boot camp, but it's a little bit easier, a little bit less pressure. They're not required necessarily to do everything. Um, I think the main difference when they come back as summer associates were lining up projects, even though they're encouraged to seek others out. We have attorneys who will enter projects into a work allocation system. When they come back as first years, we get them started with three or four projects, and then they're sort of left to their own devices to seek the work, figure out who they want to work with. There are folks that can help them along the way, but I think the biggest difference is being handed projects as a summer versus here's a few to get you started when you come back, but good luck finding what you want to do with the resources we provide, helping them along the way. Is there a characteristic that you would say is is common or held in common by people, uh, uh, young lawyers who do well at the firm or the person who trans transitions from law school to uh, to a law firm environment. Is there something about that that would, um, about those people that you can usually spot what someone's going to do well or not? For for us specifically at Epstein Becker, we we have our, from, from the time somebody's a summer associate to when they come back as a junior, they hit the ground running. So for us, the law student that wants to dive in and get that hands-on experience from day one does really well at our firm. The, I don't even know if firms do this anymore, but if you want to be sort of in the proverbial libraries that don't exist that much anymore, but behind the scenes, in the boxes of documents, hiding from, that's not us. So we want, um, for, and I know for some students that can be a lot of pressure. That's maybe not what they want to do. They kind of want to ease into it. For us, it's more hit the ground running, client interactions, real life projects from the day they walk in as summer. So it's important for us that they want that responsibility, that that's something that is, you know, something that they look for and is important versus something that they're going to be fearful of. So conversely, if a person is someone who uh, wants to do a lot of uh, legal research and stay in the back 
burner, this yeah. Epstein Becker. Wouldn't so be the in legal place. research works the staying in the background because if you're the one doing the research, the supervising attorney is going to want you on the call relaying that research to the client. So if you want to do the research and hand it over and maybe hide, we may not be the best place. If you you know are enthused by it, want to talk about it, you know the chances are you're going to be on the call answering the client's questions. Um, that happens to our summer associates. It definitely happens with our juniors. And it, it can be scary at first, but it's it's the culture we have. And it's a great environment to learn in um, where you get that hands-on experience. Okay. So you obviously have a lot of, uh, of experience doing this. And yes. You've done it a long time for a lot of people. Yes. Would it be Fair to say that maybe you've had some somewhat disastrous interviews or anything that would be humorous that you've seen over time? Um, there, there, there have been some disastrous interviews, probably ones I should not specifically share. But what I will share <laughs> is there are things that, that people can do when they're interviewing that are perceived as negative. And I, I'm not so sure that these are firm specific to us. Um, typos. Um, I can be very forgiving with typos, but as soon as I put those in front of an attorney. I've asked people to resubmit their cover letters before because they have great cover letters and a great resume and they do mass mailings and the name of the firm is wrong. And as soon as I turn that in to somebody, they're gonna automatically say no. So I've asked for for, for people to correct things because when I look at things, it's more about the experience and the person, not the one typo. It could have been a mistake. It could have been a mistake. And a lot of times it is because they'll do form letters and things like that. We get letters addressed to the wrong person. That So there are times where we're like, no, because it's a no anyway. Other times we'll ask. Um, being late for an interview is never a great thing. But being late and acting like it never happened is really bad to start things <laughs> off. Um one of the interesting things, not being able to speak about what you have on your resume is a big one for us. There will be, for our DC office, when we interview law students, they do callbacks with eight different attorneys, two attorneys, four different rooms. They kind of, you know, go throughout the rooms. So if you, long ago, somebody will find something, everything that is on your resume. So our attorneys have pet peeves where they'll put something and the attorneys will be so excited to talk to them about it. And then it's like a sort of a dead conversation because it's sort of like they thought it was impressive and they were maybe hoping nobody would ask them about it. <laughs> doesn't work out that way. And the last thing I'll say is the same thing for questions. Um, you know, we'll have people interview and if they get to the fourth room, they're like, I don't have any more questions. It's never a good thing. Like ask the same question in all four rooms for us if you have to, but it just makes you seem uninterested either in the people or the firm as a whole, if you're not willing to ask questions. So the person would go to four different interviews and then I maybe just got tired by the They, last they could be tired by the fourth, but and I encourage them to fake it at least and ask, even if they're the same questions through all four rooms. Because if it's not the same people that they're It's interviewing. not the same people. You'll get different perspectives. We we pair up. We're, we're strategic with our pairing. Sometimes it's two associates. Sometimes it's two partners. Sometimes it's mixed. But everybody has a different experience. So if nothing else... Test it and see if you get the same answer twice and see how consistent the answers are. So, If I was going to ask you to summarize, uh, just maybe in three basic points, mm -hmm. what advice does Amy Simmons have for a law school student who's interested in pursuing a career in health law? What would those be? Um, I would say choose if you can. I know there are a lot of reasons that people choose to a particular law school. But if they can choose a law school, if they're truly interested in health law, that has a health law program. 
Um, it's again, I know sometimes it doesn't work that way because people now choose for geographic reasons and all kinds of things. But going somewhere with a health law program is one of the easiest ways to demonstrate that you're truly interested in a career in health law. Um, I would say look for relevant externships, internships that are health related, remembering that healthcare. When I first started at the firm, I was like, healthcare law, like, what is that? And I'm like, it blows my mind every day how many things are considered health law, how many buckets fall under that. So understanding that health law for us, you know, we have litigators, we have corporate attorneys, we have so many things that roll up under health law. But to look for relevant things that that show their interest in the health industry. And then maybe the last is to to there's read up and be familiar with current trends. Uh, we don't ever expect anybody to be experts when they come in to interview, especially law students. They're just starting. Um, they should never try to be experts. It would almost people, be worse if they try. If, if, it's worse if they try because we're putting them in rooms with people that have been doing we this are. for 30 or 40 years and maybe are the experts. But but to be con- conversational and, and current news and things that are going on, I think is very beneficial and would help them figure out if they're interested in truly pursuing that career in health law. Okay. Well, Amy, thank you so much. Uh, that concludes part one of our Launching Your Career in Health Law uh, podcast. Uh, please plan to tune in next month for part two, which will deal with the things junior associates should do to be successful in the practice of health law. Thank you.